Pastor Leon and his wife Sheila founded Gospel Tabernacle Church in 1982 in the heart of Lawrence, South Carolina. Since then, the Lord has richly blessed and increased the ministry and family of Gospel Tabernacle Church. Here at Gospel Tabernacle, we believe in the power of the Word of God to change the hearts and lives of believers. Gospel Tabernacle is a family church ministering to the whole family through the charismatic teaching ministry. Today's message will grow your faith and draw you close to the Lord as you open your heart to God's Word and His Spirit. God. I am made by God. Amen? His handiwork, His workmanship, recreated in Christ Jesus, recreated in Him, born anew, that we may do those good works which God predestined, planned beforehand for us, taking paths which He prepared ahead of time, that we should walk in them, living the good life which he prearranged and had made ready for us to live. God has arranged for us to live a very, very good life. Uh, you are not destined for sorrow and depression and gloom and doom, sickness and disease, poverty and want. None of those things are part of God's plan for us. We may just look in just a few moments as we go that direction, but none of those things are God's plan for us. But in order for us to walk into the life that God wants us to have, we have to do something. We have to receive Christ Jesus as our Lord and Savior and then begin to pattern our lives after him. We become disciples. We become learners, not learners in, as such as I am a teacher and you are the student and I teach and you hear instruction. Not that kind of a learner, but the kind of learner that hangs around the person who is doing the teaching that's so close to him, the Lord Jesus, that we become like him. He is our mentor. We are his mentoree and being around him, living with him, dwelling with him, listen to him him talk, seeing how he walks, how he lives his life, we become like him. That's what a true disciple is. In doing that, we develop patterns in our life, things that we do again, 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 and again, a habit in our life. We do again, 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 and again. We talked about one of the first ones was that we pray, we talk to God, we have communication, we have relationship with him. You don't have a God in your life if you don't have a relationship with him. That's what it's all about. It's not a religious thing where you subscribe to a code of conduct. I have a code of conduct, and you and I both do, but that's not what brings us our salvation. It is a relationship with the Lord God Almighty, with his Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. We are connected to him. We are dwelling as he dwells with us. He's with us. He walks with us by day and by night, just like he is right now. He's here in this place, and the sense that you know he's here in this place is the sense that you are connected to him in relationship. And we talked about that prayer life. A lot of time we spent on that. We spend a lot of time in the area of the Word and filling ourselves with God's Word. Because when I was born in this world and when you were born in this world, when we came in, we started hearing the Word, but not the Word of God. We started hearing the Word of this world. And the world began telling us about ourselves. And it taught us and it instructed us. And it, you know, just again and again and again said to us who we were. The problem is it told us what the world wanted us to be and what the world believed that we were. And because of some of that, we grew up in life thinking we were 
were no good and God didn't love us and he didn't care for us and we were all just a, you know, a bunch of sinners and we never could be anything more. And we could get, not get out of our trap and we would always be doomed in whatever this world offered to us. And, and you know what? That's something that you have to kick against in this life because it's out there. It is out there in everything that you see and everything that you go in. I've hit it again and again and again in life. I've heard many people say, no, you can't do that. I've heard people say over and over, you can't do that because you have to have this or you have to have that or you have to do this or do that. And they set their criteria. But what I've learned in life, that in Christ Jesus, I can do all things through Christ that strengthens me. Not what the world gives me, but through what Christ strengthens me. And you and I can become overcomers and winners in this life based on what God has done. So we learn that in the Word of God. We learn what God says about us. We learn how He says we are to live and His instruction, His guidance, His blueprint, His path for life that He gives us. We see it. And as we walk down it, we become extremely successful. We become extremely blessed. I've heard people talk about hyper this and hyper this. I believe in all kind of hyper stuff. I really do. I'm all into things. I don't just get halfway. I want to get all into the things. And everything God's want, I want all of it that I can contain, all that I'm ready for, and I know all that he's ready to give me. I want to have hyper Jesus in my life. How about you? Amen? Wall to wall Jesus. That's what I want to be on the inside. All right. So we talked about that a little bit. Now today I want to talk to you about a third thing that does a lot for both you and for me. And uh, it does a lot more for some others than it does for you and me. Because what I want to talk to you about is this. How many in the house of God today, how many are here today that you are born again? Say amen if you are. How many born again? How many are saved if you are saved? You're saved? I mean, really, I heard someone, uh, we were watching a little uh, Christian movie. If you haven't watched it, you ought to watch it. It's called Do You Believe? Do You Believe? It's a story of 12 people who encounter Christ Jesus. And uh, you can see it on YouTube. It's absolutely free. And uh, you can watch it. Cheryl and I watched it. We watched it dozens of times, I guess. But we watched it again yesterday, last night, I guess it was. We watched it. And uh, one of the things that the person said in there, he didn't really know. He's just in the world. He's being honest. And he's talking about his brother-in-law that uh, got saved. And he used the word saved. And uh, speaking to someone else that didn't know what saved meant. And then he also talked about his sister and his brother-in-law. And he said, my sister now, she's not all in. I guess you'd call her half-saved is what he said. But, you know, there's really no such thing as being half-saved. You're on the inside or you're on the outside. You're either in the body of Christ or you are out of the body of Christ. And so I want every one of us to be in the body of Christ, but I want more than just that. I want, more than, I want other people to be in the body of Christ. And what we have got to learn is that you and I got a part to play in that. I was reading, it's not by coincidence, I, I don't read by uh, dates, I, I read by wherever I think the Lord wants me to uh, turn to, and as I was reading uh, yesterday uh, in my devotional, I read this from my favorite writer, I guess, outside of so many others, I got about a dozen, I guess, but Andrew Murray, a great Presbyterian minister of years gone by, he said this, he said, first, the individual believer does not understand that it is necessary for him to testify to those around him for the nourishment and the strengthening of his own spiritual life. It is necessary that you and I testify. I remember testimony services that we used to have in the house of God. Now, some of them will be depressing, you know, because they, they didn't really give the right kind of testimony, some of them, but a lot of them did. But what is a testimony? It's your voice, your word, 
It's your evidentiary speaking of what is taking place in your life. I testify. I can't say about you or you or you or you, but I can testify about myself. Every one of us has a testimony. You have it either way you've got, whether it's good or bad, you still got it. But we all have a testimony. And we think about in church and in our relationship with God, our testimony is our experience with God. If I were to give my testimony, I could say to you that, you know, I was lost and undone, as the song says, without God or his son. I, I was headed to a devil's hell. And, and the Lord came into my bedroom where I lived. It was in October of, of 1975 on a Sunday morning. And he came into my bedroom, and he was there when I opened my eyes. And when he did, the presence of God was in the house, and it was I could do nothing else but ask God into my heart and life. All I could do was say, Lord God, forgive me of my sins. Please forgive me. I want to be your child. And when I did that, the second thing I did in my life within seconds was I shared my testimony with my wife, who I woke up and told her the same thing. And she, too, bowed with me on that October of 1975 morning, and we both accepted Christ into our life. We began to live for him. We began to go to church. We began to read the Bible. We began to study as best we knew how at the time. And you go from glory to glory, from Christ to Christ. We just didn't know everything. But we began learning and began going at the time, began, began being a disciple, a learner from Jesus Christ. And I can share my testimony throughout the years and say, that's when salvation came into my life. It was six months later that the power of the Holy Ghost came into my life. In Inner East, South Carolina, I was there when it happened. I ought to know. So I remember that. And that took place. I was there. I was there later on when God did different things in my life. And he touched me in so many different ways. And he spoke to me on, in September of 1982. He spoke to me to do exactly what I'm doing now today. I was there when he did that. I can give testimony after testimony of how I've encountered difficulties in my life, and we all do in life. And when we encountered those, that we went to God with our problems and our situation, and God was merciful, and he showed up, and he helped us, and he brought us the deliverance and the freedom, the healing and the health, the blessings that we needed in our life. I was there when it took place, and I have a testimony. I can tell you many things from the Word of God, and so can you. We can speak what the Word of God said. It is very powerful to do so. But I also have, as a confirmation of the Word of God, my testimony. My testimony. And throughout the years, at different times, I've heard people argue about different things in the Bible. I've heard people argue about healing and say, well, I just don't believe in healing. And I'm saying, I'm sorry that you don't. I wish that you did. The Bible teaches it. But just because you didn't, don't believe in it don't mean that I hadn't already gotten it. And I received it. I have a testimony. I know God is faithful. I know he heals. I know he delivers. I know he sets free. I know he does those things. When people talk about various things in their life, uh, you and I can look to our testimony because God has done something for us. How many has God ever done anything for you? Shout amen this morning. Amen. amen. You have a testimony. You have a testimony. Now let me tell you something. Don't just say amen and raise your hands in the church. You need to do it outside the church. Most of us in the church expect you to have a testimony. That's what we think you got. That's why we think you're here, because God's done something in your life. And he's brought us together to worship and to learn and to grow and to just disciple ourselves before the Lord and come into his presence with thanksgiving, as the Scripture teaches us. It's out there. They need to hear your testimony. It's the people that don't believe like you believe. It's the people that don't have what you have. It's the people that don't know Jesus like you know him. 
They're the ones that need to know you have a testimony. It is with them that you and I need to share our testimony. Another book T.L.R. Osmond wrote years ago was called Soul Winning. He entitled Out Where These Sinners Are. Soul Winning, Out Where the Sinners Are. That's where soul winning should take place. Out in here, we're preaching to the choir. Amen? If I say Jesus is good, you say what? If I say Jesus is good, you say what? I think I got a small choir this morning. Come on, choir. If I say Jesus is good, you say what? There you go, choir. That's what you do. Now you go outside and you say that on the streets and in the world. I'm ashamed to say it, but you might get what we got the first time I asked that question here. You get a few people out there that might say it, but a lot of people won't say it. A lot of people say, who is Jesus? A lot of people say, you talk about this Jesus, I don't believe in him. I'm agnostic. If there is a God, I don't know it. I'm an atheist. I don't believe in supernatural things such as God. You can hear all kind of people say things like that. And it's those people that need to hear your testimony, what God has done for you, how he's moved in your life. I mean, people can argue with you all day long, and they can come up against you and against the things that you and I believe. But if you've got an experience with God, a testimony, no one can shake you. You know what God has done in your life, and that's what they need to hear. They understand sometimes, and I know there's this thing called religion, and they build churches, and people go there, and they sing in choirs, and they hear the readings of the words, and they pray, and these kind of things. They understand that religion, but what they don't know is life. And you and I have a life to share. We have a testimony to share. Well, Andrew Murray said it like this. He said, the individual believer does not understand that it is necessary. Necessary for him to testify to those around him for the nourishment and strength of his own spiritual life. When you tell someone about Jesus and you tell someone that Jesus is your Lord and Savior, it makes you stronger. It makes you stronger in your life. What does the Bible say in the book of Revelation? We overcame the devil, what? By the blood of the lamb and what? And by the word of our testimony. It makes you stronger. It gives you more of a life before God and a greater sense of the presence of God in your life. Andrew Murray said it's necessary for that. He went on and he said this, it is also necessary for the ingathering of souls. It's necessary for the ingathering of souls. The strongest advertisement or advertising our church will ever do, and we've done much over the year. We're doing it right now on the sign out front. There's a lot of stuff that we've done advertising. I mean, you can go to Twitter, you can go to Facebook, you can go to websites, you can go to uh, newspapers, you can go to magazines, you can go to radio, you can television, all, all kind of stuff you can do to advertise. But the strongest advertisements this church has is you. You're it. You're it. The greatest way people ever receive Christ Jesus is because they heard about it from somebody else. Not a, radio, not a radio show, not a commercial, not a television ad. All those are good. Let's keep doing lots more of them. But the greatest influence anybody has in life is you. You're it. For you to be able to sit up and say, hey, I don't know about all this other stuff, but here's what God's done for me. And when somebody you know and love, somebody in your family, somebody you work with, somebody you're around sees a living, breathing being speaking about what God has done in their life, there is power in that testimony. And you've got it. And Andrew Murray said it is absolutely necessary that you do it for your own strength and that you do it for the ingathering of souls. He says, secondly, this, unconverted souls, people who do not know Christ Jesus, unconverted souls suffer unspeakable loss 
because Christ is not personally brought to them by each believer they meet. Ask yourself this question. The unbeliever gets up. It's Monday morning. He gets up. He does what he usually does. He gets up. He turns on the television. He watches some news. He hears the bad things about this world. He rides to his job in his car. He listens to a radio. They tell him all the things they want to tell him. He gets to the job. He sees a group of people, and in this group of people that he meets on this job, there's a few there that know Christ. There's a whole lot that don't. And while he's there all day, he works. He does what he does. He does his job. He talks. He communicates. He shares with his friends. You might be one of them. I might be. He talks, and then he goes home. He comes back home to his family. His children come home from school, and they come home from the school and they tell them what they learned in school they do this they do that maybe they'll watch a television program at night maybe they get their clothes and everything ready for the next day do a little odds and ends they have to do and they retire they go to bed and they get up the next morning and start it all over again how are they ever going to find out about Jesus what if you were in the plant with them that day what if you were there what if you were in the grocery store with them when you met them what if you were there what if you were the one that was part of their life that day the only way they're going to hear is you and me have got to share our testimony with them. The only way they're going to hear is you and me have got to share our testimony with them. Can I get a stronger amen? Amen. Amen. Billy Graham said it like this. He said the greatest thing he'd like to say to the body of Christ is this. And he said it this way. He said the greatest thing he'd like to say to the people of God is this, that it's the people of God's responsibility to win the loss, not the pastor. Billy Graham 101. You say the pastor doesn't have a job? Yes, as an individual the pastor does. But as a pastor, it's the pastor's job to teach, build up, edify, and strengthen the body of Christ so the body of Christ might go out and do the work of the ministry. Simple in the book of Ephesians. tells us clearly what that is. And so the thing is this. When we look, we have to realize there's people out there, they'll never hear the gospel. They'll never hear the love of God, and they'll never know Jesus loves them if you and me don't tell them. They're not going to get it at CNN. Don Lemon might be telling them that Jesus wasn't perfect, and he wasn't the Son of God. That's what they'll get. I just heard that just this week. Just this week. My, blasphemy. Unbelievable. They're, they're not going to get it on... Most all of our uh, shows that we watch and those kind of things for news products that we get. They're not going to get it when you, you know, turn on that radio, boom, ba, 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 boom, boom, ba, ba, you know, got that radio blaring and blasting and maybe some of that stuff going on. You, you're not going to get it. You're not going to get it. They want that, and now they fixed it where you're not going to get it at school because school is a place for public education. We can't have God or the Bible in school. Don't get it. Can't have it at the workplace. Because if you say something about sin at the workplace, you might be accusing one of your fellow workers unjustly, and we'll dismiss you. Keep your religion to yourself. Keep it in your own heart, in your own life, in your own house, and keep it out of the public. That's what the world wants to tell us. And so in this world, they ain't getting the gospel. In this world, the gospel is not me going running. The only way the world will get the gospel is for you. To tell them. It's the only way that it's going to happen. Andrew Murray said, we've got to take our responsibilities seriously. It is an unspeakable loss, he says. How can it be? He says, as we realize this, we will see also that intercession is a chief element 
of conviction of souls. We have to learn to pray for the lost. If what you pray for, you'll get involved in. What you pray for, you'll become active in. When it's part of your prayer life, you'll begin to exercise it in your other life. When you're praying for the lost, then you'll become activated to when you're in the world to look out and be sensitive to the lost. And what you and I have to do is we have to develop a habit in our life of not only praying, of not only filling ourselves with the Word of God, but a habit in our life of reaching out to the lost. If we don't do it, ain't nobody else going to. It is not going to happen. We must. In the day we live in, there is strong delusion, Second Thessalonians tells us, that has come into the earth that people are believing a lie. And the second part of that verse says they are also being damned because they believe a lie. Strong delusion is in the earth right now. Extremely strong delusion that's in the earth. All forms of wickedness are sort of being accepted now as righteousness. The righteousness is being called evil and bad. You are narrow-minded. You are a bigot if you are a righteous individual. You are intolerant if you are a righteous individual. The world wants to brand and ostracize the church and do away with the church so that the world can be comfortable in their sin. But they ain't never going to be comfortable in their sin until they find Jesus that delivers them from their sin. That's the only way it's ever going to happen. How are they going to find him? How are they going to know about him? The Bible says it clearly in the book of Romans chapter 8. How shall they hear unless a preacher is sent? That don't mean, okay, pastor, get on out there. You are the preacher. Everybody say, I am the preacher. You are the preacher. Every one of us a preacher. Carry us the Greek word for that. We proclaim, we herald the gospel. That's who we are. We are the preachers. Now, as I was getting into this and getting ready to go into this teaching, I had everything ready last week, or, or, and, and really yesterday finished it up, finalized it, got up this morning, and the Lord said, do this first. I said, okay, I'm going to do this first. Here we go. Turn me back in the book of Genesis, because here is the problem. The problem we are at in the world today is basically for the world now, for the world, and for a lot of the apostate church, and a lot of the backslidden, cold, lukewarm church, there ain't no reason to live right. Because we have no, no understanding of heaven and hell in the world. You've got people now, they're only on the heaven side, and there ain't no hell. We've got people, they're only on the side of we're all righteous, and there ain't nobody a sinner. And if there ain't nobody a sinner, and there ain't nobody lost and undone, they don't need to be a savior. You don't need Jesus. You don't need the church. You don't need the Bible. Let's quit, close the doors, and all go home. If everybody is saved, as the world would tell us. I was in seminary years ago, and I remember a psychology major that was in there as well, and when they were talking about in this class, and this was a ARP, Associate Reformed Presbyterian Seminary, and it was a good class we're in. It was basic salvation 101 that we're in, soteriology as it's called. And so we were there studying, and this psychologist stood up and said, well, I'm uncomfortable with all this. Told the professor that. I'm uncomfortable. I mean, you know, tell us that we're bad. When we're born, we're bad. I just don't see that. We're bad. I think we're all sort of good. I don't like this bad stuff. Where was she coming from? The world. 
that world. What did they tell us in the 60s? I'm okay. You're okay. We're all okay. I'm not okay. You're not okay. And everybody else is not okay unless Jesus has made us okay. Amen? But the world doesn't know that. There has to become a reality back to the body of Christ of what is going on and what is happening. So I, I can't spend a whole lot of time, but i got several verses I want to read you. Follow me if you can. Genesis chapter 1. Look at me in Genesis chapter 1, and let's just get to the place of where we need to be. Genesis chapter 1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Basic 101, everything's here because of God. Okay? They can do anything and everything else they want to do. Everything's here because of God. He created it. He formed it. He fashioned it. He made it. We're here because of God. Without God, ain't none of us ever going to be here. Nothing we know about is ever going to be here. God is the creator. Now, second part of that equation is this. The man who creates, as in us, here in this situation, God who created, he gets to make the rules. Now, if you hadn't lived, uh, understood that, you're going to have a hard time in life. The person who creates gets to make the rules. When I was growing up as a child and my dad, and I sat at my dad's table, my dad's house, my home, my dad got to make the rules. How many understand that? Say amen. Still, still the same for the 21st century we're in today. Head of the house gets to make the rules. Get to make the rules. That's, that's just the way it is. When, when you walk into the classroom at school, the teacher in that class, they made the rules. This is what you do. This is what you don't do. This is how it's going to work. When you get into the job and the job tells you how things are going to work, this is how it goes. This is how we run this job. This is what takes place. This is what you do. I mean, you know what? If you don't like it, get you another job. If you don't like it, build you a plant or a manufacturing company or a business, and then you make the rules. Amen? But the man, Fred Sanford said it like this many years ago, the man with the gold is the man that makes the rules. That's what he said. That's what he said the golden rule was. But anyway, Fred Sanford, 201, you might say. But God is God Almighty. He created made everything that there is. He's made the rules. Here is his rule. Okay? Genesis 2, verse 7. The Lord God, for man of the dust of the ground... And breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. Man became a living soul. And the Lord God planted a garden eastward Eden. And there he put the man who he had formed. The rule is God makes everything that there is. The rule is God makes man. The rule is he makes a wonderful garden for him to live in. And he puts him in this garden. Man is designed, purposed in the very beginning to live in wealth and riches and blessing beyond the imagination of mankind. And he put him in his beautiful paradise. That's, that's God's plan. That's what he wants. That's the rule he made. He's the one that designed it. And so when all these people talk about a mean, nasty God that doesn't love them and doesn't care for them and only wants to send them to hell in this language that they use, that kind of stuff, take them back there. This is what God wanted. This is what God purposed. This is how God set it up. This is where God put the man and the woman that he made. He put them in a beautiful paradise. He's the one that did that. He's responsible for that. That's what he did. Then God told them. He told them this. In Genesis 2, verse 17, he said, Of all the trees in the garden you can freely eat, but of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat of it. For in the day that you eat, you're going to die. That's the rule. There's only one at that point in the Garden of Eden. There's only one rule. You can eat of everything, partake of everything the garden's got. There's one thing and one thing only you can't do, and that is if you partake of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you're going to die. 
That, that's the rule. And so God's made this rule. Now, God didn't make Adam and Eve sin. He did make sin, uh, Eve sin. He did make Adam sin. He hasn't made mankind sin from that day to this. He's never made one individual sin. It is God's plan that we live in a paradise of abundance in relationship and communication with God. That's what God wants. But God has a rule. And his rule is, if you do what he told you not to do, you're going to die. We know the story, don't we? As it goes on down, Genesis 3, verse 6, the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and it was pleasant to the eyes, a tree to be desired to make one wise. She took the fruit thereof and did eat, and gave also to her husband with her, and he did eat. They did what God told them not to do. At the point that you do what God tells you not to do, God's law that enforces what he told you to do comes into play. And it did. Notice what happened. Verse 7, the eyes of them both were open. They both knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together. They made themselves apron, and they heard the voice of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God amongst the trees of the garden. Now mankind is hiding from God. That's, that's what everything is, an attempt to hide from God. It's an attempt not to face who you are and who God is and come before him honestly and justly and allow God to do a work in your life. People want to hide. They want to hide. What do you want to hide by? Let's hide by another religion. Maybe this is the way. Let's hide by this religion. Maybe that's the way. Let's hide behind no religion at all. Maybe that's the way. Let's hide behind ignorance. Well, I just can't understand why God would do that. We can hide behind all the things we want to hide behind but it won't do you any good because at the end of, the li- end of this life, your hiding days are going to be over. Amen? And so what does God do with this? He told them, this is where I want you in the Garden of Eden. He told them, I want you in this paradise. He told them that's what his design was. He told them, now, if you do this, you're going to die. You're going to die. And we learn from Scripture what death is. Death is the same thing all the time. It's separation. Your spirit, your soul, your body. You find out what happened when the devil tempted Adam and Eve. He tempted them through the body and through the soul. That's the way he comes. He comes from out here. It looks good. It tastes good. It feels good. I just got to have it. That's the way the devil comes at us. And he did. He came at them the same way. And God told him, he said, when you partake of that tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you're going to die. We can look at the scripture and we can see what else goes on. Look what it says in Genesis chapter 3, verse 22. God said, Behold, the man has become one of us to know good and evil. And now, lest he put forth his hand and take also of the tree of life and eat and live forever. Why was it that God kicked Adam and Eve out of the Garden of Eden? Because they had not yet partook of the tree of life. They had partaken of the tree of knowledge and good and evil. And so, with this knowledge of good and evil that they had gained, or awareness that, that come into their life, with that, violating God's law, becoming rebellious to God, God did not want them to now walk over to this tree of life and partake of the tree of life and live for eternity in their rebellion. And so one of the best things, and it was, the greatest thing God could do for them was kick them out of that garden. You're not going to get it. You're not getting to the tree of life. And so he kicks them out of the garden. Look what he says he did. Verse 23, therefore, the Lord God sent them forth from the Garden of Eden to till the ground from where they were taken. So he drove out the man, and he placed at the east the Garden of Eden cherubims and a flaming sword, which turned every way to keep the way of the tree of life. 
He kicked them out of the Garden of Eden. Now, when you recognize this, you also recognize something else. He kicked them out of the presence of God. What is death? Death is always separation. There are three kinds of death that the Bible mentions. One is what you and I most often think about, that this old body that you and I live in, in my case, this young body, but this body that we live in, that one day our spirit or our soul will leave this body and this body will fall to the ground dead. That is a separation from your spirit and your soul. The Bible says in the book of James, as the body without the spirit is dead, so is faith without works. It makes that comparison. And so the body, when the spirit leaves, the body falls and dies and goes to the ground. Okay? Goes back to the dust from whence it came. The body is dead. Now, that's the understanding of most people in the world's understanding of death. But it is not what God talks about when he talks about this idea of the wages of sin is death. Because you don't pay your sin debt just because you die. The wages of sin is separation, spiritual separation from God. And what happened here, a second thing happened here for them, they're going to die. Adam died at 930 years of age. He is going to die. His death set into him physically that very day that he did it and was kicked out of the garden. But his spiritual life died that day. It was that day, just like God said that he was separated from God and he was cast out of the garden and from God's presence. No longer do you see Adam walking with, with God in the cool of the day. No longer do you see fellowship and communion with God. It's separated. He's died. That's a spiritual death. And so right now, there are people today, the Bible tells in the book of Ephesians, that are yet in their sins. They are dead. While they live, they are dead because their spirit man is not connected to God the Father. That is spiritual death. There is physical death when the spirit leaves the body. There is spiritual death when your spirit is not connected to God. There's something else called the second death. That's talked about in the book of Revelation, chapter 20, and it tells us about that second death, that when men and women who are dead spiritually are cast into the lake of fire, which the Bible says, which is the second death of the spirit. Their body had already died. Spirit was died because it separated from God. And now they are eternally separated from God. The three kind of deaths that are in the scripture. This is what happened. This is what took place. All of that happened when Adam committed high treason against the kingdom of God and disobeyed God. They walked out of God's promises and blessings on their own. It was their choice, not God's. And they walked out of that on their own. They were the ones that were the blame. They did that. And then what happened? Adam and Eve, with the nature that they now had, a fallen nature, began to procreate and have children and 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 children till they finally got down to you and me. And each of us today, every human alive, all of us, there really ain't but one race, and that's the human race. I know people divide it a little more, but there really ain't but one. We all came from Adam and Eve, and because of that, the bad news is we all inherited their nature. We're just like them. When I came out of my mother's womb, I was a sinner. When as soon as I learned to talk, I learned to lie. Somebody say amen. As soon as I learned to live, I learned to say I won't mind. What's the number one, number one thing you have people trying to teach little children? Now, you got to share you got to share. Well, those kids say, uh-uh, no, I don't either. Give it, it's mine. I want it, it's mine. Greed that's in there is born in us. It's part of our nature, who we are. The only way to escape that, you've got to have a new birth. But if you've only been born one time, if you've only been born one time, if only one time, you're on your way 
to a devil's hell. You must be born again. That's the only way to go into the kingdom of God. Have you heard that taught on television in the last 10 years? Not much, have we? Not much. And there's a world of people out there are not hearing it anywhere else unless you and me begin to tell people about the sincerity, the severity of the problem of sin that's in their life. It's going to cost them, not just in this life, but for all eternity. It's going to cost them a world of hurt, a world of hell for all eternity. But, thank God, there is a way out. There is a way out. So mankind, born in this world, because of the sin of Adam, because of his sin nature, is not qualified for heaven and is not qualified for relationship with God, not qualified for relationship with Christ Jesus, not qualified for the things of God by any stretch of the imagination. He must become qualified. And man cannot qualify himself. He must have another who is qualified that can render to him qualification that will bring him into the kingdom of God. His name is Jesus Christ, the Lord God Almighty. That is why he came. John chapter 3, verse 15. Whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. Doubters don't go. Believers make it in. Verse 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. There was a great exchange that took place. Jesus came to this earth. He lived this earth without sin, contrary to what Don Lemon says. He lived this earth without sin. He lived it righteously. And as he did, he offered himself a sacrifice, a perfect sacrifice. Don Lemon, a perfect sacrifice. For us, and we receive that, that causes us to become born again. Notice what he said. He gave his only begotten son. That whosoever believes in him should not perish. You're going to perish unless you believe in him. You see? The only way out of perishing is believing. It's the only way out. You, you can't work for it. You can't earn it. You can't make up your own religion. Uh, you, you can't try to be the best person in the world. You can't do a lot of good deeds. Let's, let's do some good deeds. Let's do a lot of good things, okay? But those things are not going to give you salvation that causes you not to perish. The plan of God is this, who should believe not perish but have everlasting life. Remember the ways of sin of death? Cease, stop, separation. But here, everlasting life for God sent not his son in the world to condemn the world. See, this is a mistaken identity most of the time of the church as, as well as the world. And, and we get involved in this, and we get so hung, hung up on this. Jesus did not come to condemn the world. It says here, but that the world through him might be saved. He come to offer salvation. Now, don't just stop there, because sometimes our churches just stop there. But the world is condemned. The world is condemned to a devil's hell. They are. It's that Jesus didn't do it. He's not, that's not his purpose in coming. Notice what it said in verse 18. He that believeth on him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already. The world is already condemned. 
Jesus didn't have to come for the world to be condemned. The world was already condemned and consigned to a devil's hell for all eternity. Already. That didn't happen just because Jesus came. That wasn't why Jesus came. He didn't come to condemn. He came to save those that are lost. He came to get people out of condemnation. He came to deliver people from their sins and to set them free and give them everlasting life. That's why he came. We have to be careful understanding that because you have a church that goes back to like that psychology major. I'll tell you about that little lady that said, well, I just don't think anybody's bad. Everybody's good. You know, that kind of thing. Well, there's some bad people in the world. Amen? Everybody ain't good. Amen? Absolutely they're not. Absolutely they're not. But it's not God that made them bad. It's not God that made them not good. It was their individual choices that did that. They were born in sin, and they kept carrying on in that sin, magnifying their sin, living out their sin, proving their state of their life of not being in salvation, and they lived that way. Well, Jesus didn't come to make them condemned because of their lifestyle and what they're doing, the choices they have not chose Jesus to get out of the direction they're going. Then they're going to keep on going the direction they're going. The Bible tells us in the book of Matthew chapter 12, I believe, verse 40, that, that hell was not made for you and me. Hell was made for the devil and his angels. Problem is, a lot of people following the devil and his angels. If you don't want to go to Greenville, don't get in a car of somebody that's driving to Greenville. Because if you don't do, you're going to be in Greenville before you know it. About 45 minutes, you'll be there. Wait, some of you drive, you'll be there in about 18 minutes. But anyway, it won't take you long to get there if you're in that car that's going to Greenville. And there's a world's got a car that's on its way to hell. And there are people filling up, and they are holding on. They're standing in the aisles in that subway, in that train, in that airplane, and they're just holding on on that luxury liner that's sending them straight to hell. That's what they're doing. They're on their way. Already. Already. All they had to do was be born in this earth. That's it. They were born in sin. If you've only been born one time, you're on the load that's going the wrong direction. You must be born again. We have to receive Jesus. Now, look with me again. Look with me in the book of Mark, chapter 16. There is a way out. Jesus made the way. God gave his only begotten son that you don't have to perish. You don't have to go to hell. Now, the reason I'm emphasizing this as I am is this, is you have to know the state of the world in order for you to feel the compassion to reach out to them. Why are you going to reach out to somebody if they're okay, you're okay, and we're all okay? Unless they have, I mean, how many of us? I, I am sure, I'm sure that if we ride down the road, and just before we get to the end of the road, we see that the bridge is out, and we just barely escape, not going over the bridge ourselves, and we slam on the brakes of our vehicle, would we not back up with our vehicle and call 911, the bridge is out. Tell people don't come down this road. Will we not back up and stand waving other cars that didn't quite know it yet? Don't go any further. I almost went off myself. You will go off if you keep going. The bridge is out. I think we'd all do that, wouldn't we? But you wouldn't do it if the bridge wasn't out. And what has happened in the body of Christ and in the church, they no longer have a hell. They no longer have consequences to sin. They no longer believe a judgment day is coming. And that's in our earth today. 
And if you don't have this judgment day coming, if you don't recognize that there is a hell to shun, there is a heaven to gain, as Brother Hagin always used to say, if you don't recognize that, you won't witness. So you've got to have this understanding. The person I'm about to talk to, I may never see them again in my life. The person I'm about to talk to and see just now, it, it, it may be that this is the last opportunity from anybody that they'll have a chance to hear that God loves them. It, it just might be this is it. They might go into eternity lost without God for all eternity if somebody like me or someone else doesn't share the gospel with them and speak to them of the love of Jesus. You and I have got to recognize in our own heart's life and develop that kind of compassion that literally cries out from the inside, we have to rescue the perishing. And I received my license to preach many, many years ago in the church that I was in prior to this one. One of the first books I read was a book called Rescue the Perishing. And it talked about how the world was on its way to perish and to eternal judgment, to eternal hell, and that people have to rise up to bring rescue to them. You are the people. I am the people. It's up to you. It's up to me. It's too valuable. It's too costly. It's too expensive. We can't avoid it. We can't stop it. We, we cannot. We cannot wait another day, another hour, another minute. People's lives are hanging in the balance and are in jeopardy of eternal damnation if you and I don't set fall. Say, let Jesus do it. He is. Through those people that will allow him. Through those that will have a witness and testimony of him. He will. But you know what? I just have not seen Jesus walking down the street telling people to be saved. I have seen the gospel go forth, and there's the influence of the gospel. I've seen the Holy Spirit that is on the word of God, and there is the influence of the Holy Spirit. But I've also seen people who share their lives and share their testimony with other people and so influence them that it causes them also to say, you know what? I need to be free from my sins, and I want what you got. I, I don't want to live just a short, brief life that I have just now. Just to skip out of this life in 70, 80, 90, 100 years, and 120 years, and just to skip out of this life and, and then live for eternity lost without God? What, what would that do? I'd make the biggest mistake. That, that's the one decision that brought me my salvation. I knew that if I had everything this life had to offer, if I got to do everything I ever wanted to do, if I was as happy as I ever could possibly be happy, if I had all the luxury and all the fame and everything, and if I lived as long as any person ever would live, and yet after my extended time here on this earth, I died, and I faced God, and went into all eternity without God, lost without Him, I'd be the biggest fool who ever lived. What kind of fool would I have been had I not made that decision for Christ Jesus? I'm sad to say, and I don't say this lightly, but the Bible says that the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. There are some fools that are in our earth, in our world right now. There's some others, they recognize a God, but for rebellious reasons and other reasons in their life, they have just decided they're not going to follow him. They know he's there. They know other people have him, but they've made choices. Those are the people that you and I can reach with our testimony, and we can speak. And if you don't, and if I don't, then who will? It's going to happen in public school on Monday morning? <laughs> It's going to happen in churches in America. Hey, you got to, you got to, the United States won't shut the churches down. You're not essential. You're not essential. Hey, the church telling people to miss hell is the most essential thing you got. There ain't nothing no more essential than that. 
I, I, could, I could go, you know, I, I, I can go to heaven if I had the coronavirus here on this earth. I can make it into heaven. But I can't make it into heaven if I got sin in my life. I ain't going. You ain't going. Sin does not enter. Nothing that hinders or defiles the book of Revelation tells it. It don't make it in. You got to be cleansed by the precious blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. So the church is very essential. But who is the church? It's not just opening these doors at 1030 on Sunday morning. You are the church. I am the church. And if we stop being the church here when we get out here in a few moments at 430 in the afternoon, if we stop being the church when we leave here in a few minutes, then really we, we never came to church at all. We wasn't a church. Because you're the church when you're in this building, and you're the church when you leave this building. And the church has an influence in this world. Let me, let me read you what the Bible says. Here's the deal. Here's the deal. What about these people lost and undone on their way, on their way to devil's hell? They're perishing. According to God's plan that he has created, he's made. That's what's happening. Mark 16 verse tells us this. Go to all the world, preach the gospel to every creature. Go tell them. Go tell them the gospel. Tell them the good news. You don't have to go to hell. You don't have to be lost. You, you don't have to be without God. You, you know, there's a lot of things we can tell people and I emphasize these things. I do because I know the heart's cry and the pain and suffering of mankind. I, I emphasize, get saved, get right with God, go to God, and get your healing. I don't want to see people hurt and racked with pain and suffering and different infirmities of the body. My God, I believe in healing. How many believes in healing? I do. And I believe in prosperity and blessing. It's a terrible thing to be in poverty and be poor, not to have no food on your table and be cold when it's in the wintertime and hot in the summertime and no way to do and no way to make things happen and, and, and to live at the lowest ladder of human society. It, it's terrible to be at that place, to be hungry and go live that lifestyle. It's terrible. But it ain't nothing like not having your soul right with God and missing all eternity. So, you know, yeah, pr preach the healing. I do. I'm going to keep on preaching. Preach prosperity. I do. Go to preach on it. A lot, whole, lot more too. Yeah, let's go with all of it. But the greatest message you and I got is people need to be delivered from a devil's hell and set free so then they can get into heaven. Eternal destiny depends on this decision. You can go to heaven broke. You don't have to, but you can. But you can't go to heaven with sin in your life. You can't go to heaven. He said, preach the gospel to every creature. He that believes and is baptized will be saved. He that believes not shall be what? Somebody tell me. Say it again. Shall be what? You're not cussing. Say it one more time. They'll be what? Damned. Be damned. Who said that? Is it in red in your Bible? Who said that? Jesus said it. Jesus said believers go, unbelievers don't. The dividing line is their choice. Jesus has already came to give them a choice and to give them salvation and the power to live it out once they make that choice. But the decision is up to them. How are they going to know what that decision is unless you and I tell them? And we hear all these goody-two-shoe stuff all around America, all around our world, that everything's good, <laughs> it's okay, and God loves us all, we're all wonderful and that kind of stuff. God does love us all. But just because he loves you don't mean he won't punish you. Just because he loves you don't make his word a lie. He does love you. He loves us all. How many of you parents say loved your children? Somebody say amen. I mean, even though you loved them, you still corrected them. Say amen. And we got all this stuff going on around the world. They just got nobody. And you ask yourself, why is the church in state? That, that's one of the reasons. I don't want to make a living, or not make a living. I'm not even talking about finance. I don't want to make a living to my life going out here and just preaching what I'm preaching this morning. I really don't. But it is a necessary message for the day and age that you and I live in. 
It's not, it's not only necessary, it's essential. It is a have to because this world doesn't have it. Uh, they, they got so many goody-two-shoe people out there, preachers, just telling them all kind of wonderful, nice, and lovely things. We're all floating like a butterfly. I don't know if we're singing like a bee or not, but we're all doing those kind of things. Out in this life and everything, just in the hunky-dory. It's all great. It's all wonderful. Well, it can be if you're in God and if you receive Christ Jesus as your Lord and Savior. But if it's not, you're in a world of trouble. A world of trouble. Amen? Know what the Scripture says. That's our choice. Salvation or damnation? One of the two. What does the Bible tell us? Romans 14, verse 12. So then every one of us give our account of ourselves before God. What's the Bible tell us in Revelation? Look with me, Revelation chapter 21, verse 6. Revelation 21, verse 6. Jesus. He said, come to me. It's done. And Jesus winds this thing up. I'm Alpha and Omega. He's the beginning. He's the end. Everything we put in between all that is just man-made stuff. Jesus is the one that started this thing. He's the one that's going to end this thing. It's his rules, his instruction. I'm Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. I'll give unto him that is a thirst of the fountain of water of life freely. Won't cost anybody anything to receive salvation. Doesn't cost anything for you to go and, let me say this two ways now. Doesn't cost you anything. You don't have to get saved or buy your salvation or purchase it or a certain kind of dress that you put on that makes you have a salvation or a certain thing you got to do that causes you to have salvation or climb the highest mountain, swim the deep, deepest ocean. It gets, it's not going to cost you anything. But on the other hand, there is an extremely high cost of salvation. The good news is that Jesus paid that price on the cross. But so that you can understand it as well, there's this cross of, of, that you and I are to bear when we take up our cross and follow him, and that costs you everything. You don't come to God saying, I'll try it and see. You don't come to God and say, Lord, I love you, and uh, I'm going to live for you, but I'm going to hold on to this sin. No, it's going to cost you that sin. You've got to let go of it. You don't come to God and, and, and say, Lord, I like this about the Bible, this about the Bible, but I got this rule, this rule, and I'm going to buy my own stuff and keep some of my stuff. You don't get to do that. It costs you everything. God, I'm yours. What you say do, I'll do. Where you say go, I'll go. The way you say live, I'll live. What you say to say, I'll say. What you say to believe, I'll believe. Lord, the way you say to think, I'll think. I'm just all in. That's how you come. It's, it's everything or nothing. I know the world also has a problem with that. But if I come to my wife and we got married in 73, and I said, okay, I'm marrying you, but I'm going to keep three other women that I'm going to be dating right here. Most of you say, Leon, you're absolutely crazy nuts. It won't work. We'd all say that, right? Sure. But when it comes to God, we think we still can hold on to stuff. God said, I'm a jealous God. Is he going to love him or the world? It's a choice. Used to be a song, me or the world, my friend. Which one did you take? Me or the world. It's your choice. We must make a choice. What he says. He said, verse 7, he that overcomes shall inherit all things. Now I'll be his God. He'll be my son. But, but, notice this, the fearful, the unbelieving, the abominable, murderers, whoremongers, sorcerers, idolaters, all liars have their part in the lake of fire and brimstone, which is the second death. All sinners are headed for this lake of fire. You see those sinners right there? Unbelievers, abominable, murderers, whoremongers, sorcerers, idolaters. This is just one group. There's several groups. These people ain't going to heaven. Jesus said they're headed for the lake of fire. If you and I don't believe that, and if you and I don't have it, I'm not going to call, see that person out there that's an that's a unbeliever. We just say, oh, no, he's not a sinner. Uh, he, he's just an unbeliever. Unbeliever sounds a little nicer, doesn't it? 
a little bit nicer. No, he's a sinner. He's a rebellion against God. He's heard what God's plan is, and God's told him what he wanted to do for his life, and he said no. He rebelled against God. God gave his all, gave his everything for his salvation. He said no. He is a sinner. He is one who is against the things of God. He, he, he is a reproach to the things of God. And you can say it in so many different kind of words. But when we nice things up, well, I don't know about this lake of fire business. I don't know about this hell business. If you don't know about the lake of fire business, you don't know about the hell business, why you want to get anybody saved then? Well, so they can have a bigger car and a nicer house. No. No. So they can be saved from their eternal destiny in the lake of fire. You want them forgiven so they don't have to go. That's why. That's why. You've got to have this foundation as we get into the thing that I'm talking about on the air of salvation. Notice Revelation 22, verse 12. Behold, I come quickly. My reward is with me to give every man according to what his work shall be. I'm Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. It all starts with God, it ends with God. We can complicate it, mankind thinks they do, all in between. But it starts with God, it ends with God. And what God has said in these simple scriptures, I don't know how many I got, dozen I might have gave you this morning, what God has said is in his holy word, the Bible. This is the plan that God has laid out. He's told us what's happened. He's told us what's going on. And now the plan is that we're going to begin to going in next Sunday is this. How do you and I get involved in this plan to help these people that are doomed? There are people on planet Earth that are doomed. They are destined for an eternity lost without God into the torments of hell fire for all eternity. Absolutely. I don't have to make no plan on that. That's how it is. And somebody, and the somebody's right here in this house today, watch it online, the somebody's are us. We've got to step out and begin to take this thing seriously. If I'm just looking at, I, we, we all got lives to live. We really do. We got things we want to do in our lives and increase, and, and that's wonderful. We, we have wrong. We're renovating our downstairs bath and getting close to that, and I, I've got some of those things on my mind. But in the midst of renovating that downstairs bath that we have and the things that are going in the midst of that, I, I can't, I can't let go of the responsibility that God has given us to reach this world. I got neighbors. I got brothers and sisters. I got aunts and uncles. I got cousins. I got people that are out there, people that I know, people that I work with in the community, people that I know as I go out and about, people that I see at different places. And you got all these Facebook friends so-called today. We got all this stuff going on in our life. They're not just people that you happen to have an acquaintance with, people you happen to know. They are people with eternal souls. One day, they will live their life, and one day they will die. Or, I would not want, want it to happen, but maybe some tragedy might come upon them, and they might lose their life earlier in life. Or, or maybe Jesus might come back now. That'd be a great thing, too, for him to come right back now. John, when he finished this book, he said, Even so, come Lord Jesus. Even so. So he might come back now and end this whole thing. At the point that Jesus comes back or, or, or the people die on this earth, it's that point, it's that point where it all stops. They no longer have a choice after death. You don't get a choice after you die. It's, oh, wait a minute. I didn't know I was going to be brought before the judgment seat of God or, 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 or the, uh, the throne of Almighty God, the great white throne of justice. I didn't know that. I didn't know I was going to be brought there. I didn't know. I didn't know. It's over. When your breath leaves your body, your contract with this earth has expired. And when that happens, you go into all eternity for judgment. Happened to me or you, any of us today. The people sitting here today who might not be here next Sunday. People listening to me online that might not be here to hear me next Sunday. 
There's people, when you leave this building today, that you will see, that you may not see in the next few days of your life. They may be gone. You might be. I might be. None of us know. And so what do we do? We make our calling and election sure, as Paul said. Today, God has a plan for us, and his plan is salvation. But you and I have got to say yes to it. And ain't nobody saying yes until they know that they have that opportunity to say yes. That's where you and me come in with our testimony and with our witness to tell people about the things of Christ. It can be the smallest thing to a bigger thing. You don't have to walk up to every single person that you see and say to that person, hey, you're on your way to hell. You want to be saved? No, not necessarily. But there's a lot of ways that you minister your testimony to people, recognizing that you're talking to an eternal soul. And when you recognize that, you'll back off sometimes from holding your strong points of view. You'll back off sometimes from doing things just because you want to do it. You'll recognize that there's a soul, and you don't want to do anything to that soul that might jeopardize their walk into the uh, salvation that God has planned for them. And you want to help them and assist them that direction. You might just share with them the love of God in their life. You might just say to them, you know, I see you're going through difficult times, and we all are. But, hey, I've been praying. God's been taking care of me. You want me to help you pray too? You just witnessed. You just witnessed. You might be talking to somebody and say, hey, you know, they talk about you, had the blessings of God during your life, and they think that's great. You say, hey, man, yeah, yeah, God gave me this. This is great. This is great. God gave me this. He can give you one, too. It don't matter. He'd do the same thing for you. He loves us all. It's an opportunity to witness. We have so many opportunities to witness. And if God calls you to go down to the uh, streets of Lawrence and preach on the courthouse, that's fine, too. That's okay, too. That's all right. I'm all for the gospel going forth in all kind of ways that it needs to go forth. But the primary way it's going to go forth is not by that preacher on the street or me in this, in this right here. The way it's going to go forth by individually, all of us, me included, every one of us individually sharing our witness, sharing our testimony with people who are lost. Amen? Hey, preacher, I sure don't feel good right now. I hope you don't. How could you? How could you? How could you feel good? No souls are destined for hell. How could you? And you got relatives. You've got people you know, people you love, and you know if, if, if this is their day, this is it. How could you feel good about that? You couldn't. You couldn't. That's why we see many, many times the Bible said Jesus was moved with compassion. What is that compassion? It's that pity that comes in your life for that person. God, I've got to help them. I've got to help them. Souls, souls, souls are in the balance, and you and I have our part to do and weighing those balanced scales to righteousness rather than wickedness. It's with our testimony that we'll do it.